The Daily Tap is live for Wednesday. It is March the 1st. We're going to talk about why Marquette has made their final exclamation point in returning to prominence in college basketball. We're also talk about the Bucks flipping the switch against the Brooklyn Nets. Recap that. Give out some golden kegs. We're also going to discuss Brian Gunacus's comments about all options being on the table for Aaron Rodgers. What exactly does that mean? Is Brian Gunacus talking out of both sides of his mouth? We'll get into all of that today. Before we get going, just a reminder, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter. We're hit 800 followers. Thank you so much. TikTok, remember I told you we were close, tapping the keg sports. Well, TikTok took away probably like 12 bot accounts. So I'm back down to, I think, 689. So if you could follow there, I'd appreciate it. Uh, tap Instagram, we're hanging out there. We had some Yelich content go up there, as well as Giannis. That also made its way to TikTok. We're also on Facebook, tapping the keg sports as well. If you are new to the program, you came in from one of those videos, you came in from something else, uh, we are on every podcast platform possible, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcast, Overcast, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever, you name it, we're there. If we're not, you let me know and we'll get that taken care of. Uh, And if you're already subscribed, you can leave a review, you can share it with your friends, you can do something to spread the good word of tapping the keg. All right. Let's move on. Let's talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles and taking the Big East Championship outright. The Marquette Golden Eagles did not want to celebrate on Saturday evening. We talked about it on Monday's show, how it was a little weird, how we got some shit from our Badger friends of why Marquette was not celebrating. They wanted to celebrate the outright title, and they did just that on Tuesday in the Butler locker room after Marquette kicked the shit out of the Butler Bulldogs 72-56. to it was a game that I worried about. I was I was a little bit more pessimistic than I am as a sports fan, just because I saw it as a opportunity for Butler to have a feather in their cap, for Butler to say we beat a top 10 team. What I forgot is that Butler is not a good basketball team. Butler is a complete mess. And whether that is Thad Mata taking over and still needing to kind of figure out and establish who works in his offense, who works in his defense, or it's that Thab Mata is over the hill and they probably should have never pushed out Lavelle Jordan. Although I didn't think Lavelle Jordan was that good of a coach either. From where Butler was with Brad Stevens to where they are now is a joke. It's it's really bad. They, they are in a very, very interesting state as a program, but we're not here to talk about Butler. But we're not here to talk about the Butler program. We're here to talk about the Marquette Golden Eagles and their win tonight. Uh, Tyler Kolek, incredible again, 21 points. 10 rebounds in the last two games. Tyler Kolek has had 42 points and 24 assists. The guy is going to win Big East Player of the Year. Even though he hasn't scored the most points, he's second in assists in all of the NCAA. He has an assist-to-turnover ratio that is incredible. He is the catalyst of this team. He is the heartbeat. There is no reason why Tyler Kolek should not be the Player of the Year. I could see Bryce Hopkins from Providence, but it's Tyler Kolick and nobody else. You could make a slight case that maybe you don't want Tyler Kolick to win Big East Player of the Year because that would build a chip on his shoulder. As he said when someone asked him if you don't win Big East Player of the Year, he said, fuck him in an Instagram Live. And then he took the Instagram Live down pretty quickly after he just kept yelling, fuck him, which like is great, whatever. I love watching guys celebrate championships. I, I've watched Bucks Instagram Lives, Brewers Instagram Lives. It's always great when the boys are getting loose after winning a championship. And Kolek deserves to celebrate. And he is one of the reasons why Marquette is back 
to where they were in 2013 with Buzz Williams, where they, they last sort of peaked, right? The, we last saw the top tier of Marquette. In a weird way, that was the best time for all of Wisconsin sports in college basketball because you had a, a emerging Wisconsin team led by Sam Decker, led by Frank Kaminsky, who was on the cusp of doing something special. And you had a Marquette team that was humming at the exact same time. Now, Wisconsin moved on to make a back-to-back Final Fours while Marquette fell down the hill, which was unexpected, but it was something that we thought, okay, we'll bounce back with Steve Wojciechowski. He was a guy who, for a lot of time, for a long time in Coach K's tenure, was the heir apparent at Duke. Remember, that that is a fact. Like we'll, We can forget Steve Wojciechowski, but that was like the thing back in the day. Everyone assumed that Steve Wojciechowski would take over for Coach K, but it never happened, and he went to Marquette. And at the time, everyone was fired up to get Steve Wojciechowski. No one was not was disappointed with Wojo. There was a little bit of, ah, he's a Duke guy. But at, but at the end of the day, we liked the idea of Wojo. There was a little worry. Maybe he'd go back to ACC. Maybe he'd go back to Duke if Coach K took an NBA job or Coach K decided to stop coaching. But at the end of the day, we were happy with the Wojciechowski hire. And he knew it was going to be a process. And there was patience. I, everyone you know, knew it would take time. Buzz left the cover bare. Buzz left a bad taste in everybody's mouth, similarly to what Tom Crean did. And it needed a rebuild. And Henry Allenson was a huge recruit that Steve Wojciechowski got. And it started to look like they were showing signs of life, that they were starting to sort of look like the team that I think everybody hoped that Marquette could be and what they were in the Buzz Williams and the Tom Crean eras. Yet Steve Wojciechowski always seemed to find a way to trip in his deck. It always seemed to go awry. Marquette would have losing streaks. Marquette cost themselves a Big East title back in 2019. And that is one of the biggest like what ifs, maybe of all time, like maybe not all time, right? That's a little dramatic, but like what if Steve Wojciechowski wins Big East title there? Is, does Marquette run into the buzzsaw that was Murray State with John Morant knowing he needed to put on a show to get a high NBA draft draft selection? I I don't I don't know, right? I, I don't know. Maybe they're the four seed. Maybe they're even a three seed. Who knows, right? And does that change, you know, the attitude around Steve Wojciechowski where people are like, oh well, he could do it again. He could he could make this work. Marquette did buy him out for $9 million, which is an insane amount of money and only revealed in a Seth Davis puff piece that he did on Wojo this this last fall as Steve Wojciechowski probably will be back in the coaching world next year. I, I bet bottom dollar you'll see Wojo at some mid-major or a Mountain West program where he, he just wants to coach, right? He's been out in like the Utah area. I could certainly see like if Colorado State parted ways, they shouldn't part ways with Nico Medved, but this is an example, right? If they parted ways with Nico Medved after a rough year for the Rams and Wojo took over there, that would not shock me in the slightest. But Steve Wojciechowski created a level of apathy with the Marquette Golden Eagles and their fan base. No one really cared about Marquette when it was all said and done. When Marquette, you know, put the final exclamation point on not winning and not getting to a tournament for what was I think they four out of six years for Wojo, they did not get to the big get to the NCAA tournament. It was terribly ugly for Marquette, but people stopped caring. People stopped paying attention. Steve Wojciechowski completely alienated. 
the former Marquette players. There was never sort of this bringing inclusion of Marquette guys. It almost felt like at one point Jabari Parker was closer to the Marquette program than any of the former Marquette players. Now, some of that was the, the relationship they had with Buzz Williams, but it really seemed like Steve Wojciechowski was not honoring the past. And Marquette has a deep, rich history. So after Wojo departs, Shaka Smart enters. And what's funny about the Shaka arrival is the fact that he nearly was the coach in 2014 when they were looking for a new head coach after Buzz Williams. People thought it was Shaka. There was a done deal tweet. It was a big meme, I guess, if you will, in the market community. And then he didn't. And it was Steve Wojciechowski instead. Shaka stayed at VCU. Then he ended up at Texas. Uh, and now Shaka came back. And Shaka rebuilt what Marquette was. He started to develop the culture yet again and the culture that you know Tom Crean, Buzz Williams had, Al McGuire to go all the way back. He developed that again. He respected the past while also honoring the present. And I, I think that's a really important thing. He got the fan base to buy in again, not just showing up for National Marquette Day because it's the homecoming for Golden Eagle alumni. It was every night, right? The Creighton game is a great example of this back in December. And I think that's the, a moment where you put a pin in everything. Now, if you, I did a podcast, I think that Monday, and I was ranting and raving against the Pfizer Forum because they weren't prepared for the people that were supposed to be there. And we actually talked to a guy who worked for the Forum that night. They only expected about 11,000 in the stadium, and there were 16,000 for a Friday night game in December to watch Marquette play Creighton. That was sort of the start of everything. Even the Baylor game was crowded. Uh, and it was we, it was a Tuesday night right after Thanksgiving. And it was crowded. It wasn't a sellout, but it was crowded. And it was it was surprising to my wife and I because we had been going to games post-COVID, really, post-COVID 2021 and 2022 now. And we were like, it was pretty easy to park, pretty easy to find your space. It was tough that night. It was a Tuesday night after Thanksgiving. Like, think about that. And there were people showing up. And then you kind of hit the crescendo with the game against DePaul. It's DePaul. It's Saturday night in the city. Like, there's a ton to do, and it is sold out. I think St. John's will probably be a sellout. It's definitely going close to that, you know, number. Now, maybe some don't buy because there's no chance of winning an outright title. Marquette really doesn't have any seniors to honor, but I still think it's going to be a massive crowd. So that means to finish out the month of February, you've had sellouts in the Xavier game. You had sellouts for National Marquette. You had a sellout for DePaul, and you'll have a close, if not a sellout for St. John's in the last four games. Everybody is bought back in. And it's also at a national level too. Dick Vitale was talking about Chaka Smart for Coach of the Year. There are people that are mentioning Marquette for a Final Four team. Like Marquette is back to what they were in the early 2010s. And that is so refreshing. You know, Marquette is not maybe the top team for me in terms of people I cheer for. But I remember back, I don't know when, the, when I did these like hypotheticals, and we could certainly do this on a podcast, where I was like, if you had one team to win a championship, you know, what would you say? And if you like, you have one for the rest of your life and you're done. And I think at that point, it was like early 2010s. I said the Brewers, because my father, huge Brewers fan, would love to see the Brewers win a title, mostly for him. Uh, and then I think I said Marquette next. 
Now, granted, this was with the Bucks still in a malaise. Bucks championship had not come. I don't know if I feel that way today. Um, I still would say the Brewers are my number one answer. But honestly, the Bucks might be right there to get another one to build a legacy of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, and honestly, maybe the Packers even too. Um, but still, like it, it is a it is a special bond. It is something where college basketball sort of was an afterthought, and Marquette was an afterthought, and Marquette was lumped in with the St. John's and the Georgetown in another sense. That right, it's a little different because everyone reveres the old Big East, but Marquette was weirdly part of like the youngish Big East, if you will. They're not like the old Big East with Georgetown and St. John's, but Marquette had people who you know respected the history of it, and Shaka Smart has revived the program, and the program is back to where it was, and this Big East crown is a huge accomplishment for that. Marquette did not have a swoon. There was no swoon. There was no sort of stumble down the stretch. None of the things that we had with Wojo existed. Now comes the fun part after St. John's. I don't want to look ahead past St. John's. I am very nervous for that game. Even though Marquette knows that game is about seeding, it is really easy to look past that, right? It's really easy to say, all right, go through the motions, finish out the year. You have to play that game. If this was the NFL, if this was the NBA, there would be people resting because it wouldn't matter. It's not that sport. And so that's, you have to win. And I expect it to be weirdly close. But hopefully they'll find a way to win. And after that is done, then it becomes tournament time. And that's an interesting next step because I think there is a case to be made, and I'm sure we'll talk about it next week, that Marquette has accomplished enough, right? That they've had such a good regular season. It would leave a terrible taste in all everyone's mouth. But there have been so many, so many accomplishments this season. They have a Big East player of the year, likely. They have a coach of the year for the Big East for sure, and maybe national coach of the year in Chaka Smart. This has been an incredible year. Now, is it loser talk to say, all right, if they don't do anything in the Big East tournament or the NCAA tournament, that this season is somewhat a failure? It's still a success, especially because, too, barring any sort of craziness with the transfer portal, you're bringing everybody back. Everybody's coming back next year. You have a fired up fan base. You'll have expectations. Now, how Marquette deals with that, that's a conversation in November for us. But they're going to be a probably a top 10, top 15 team next year, regardless of what happens in March. So you know that the future is bright. Selfishly, you want them to succeed. Selfishly, you want them to finally figure out how to play in Madison Square Garden. And because the NCAA East Regional is in Madison Square Garden, you'd like Marquette to play well there. You'd like Marquette to figure it out. And I've watched Marquette against all these teams and they have succeeded, right? They have been successful. They'll see either Butler or St. John's. Yes, it's a noon start on a Thursday. It's not common, but if they can just get past that and then face, I think either Connecticut or Creighton likely in round two, or I, I don't think it's Providence. I don't think maybe Xavier you could see in round two, but you're going to see somebody in the semifinals that's very good who you've played before. I, I think Connecticut or Xavier would weirdly be more preferable just because of the fact that Marquette has lost to one of those teams. It's not trying to beat a team three times. I think if you faced Creighton, I think there would be a little bit of revenge from the Blue Jays where they'd want to try to get Marquette, especially after how that game ended in Omaha. 
But if Marquette could find their way to the Big East final, I think that is a major accomplishment. That is another step, right? That is another step. And then winning one NCAA tournament game, getting this, the, the lower third of Marquette hasn't won a tournament game since 2013. Shaka Smart hasn't won a tournament game since 2011. Those are all real stats right there. And if you just win one, then that is off. You're, that, that is gone. That is flushed down the drain. So Marquette still has stuff that needs to be flushed from the past generation, but they are back. And even if somehow they can't get, they can't shed all of that negativity, that some of that still remains. And that's a, that's out there for the 2023, 2022, or sorry, 2023, 2024 season next year. It's crazy to say in that, in that sort of way, that's okay. That'll be fine. But Marquette is back. And that is the that is the big thing that the Golden Eagles are back. They are in whether it's local, whether it's national. They are back to who they were years ago, and that is extremely special and extremely exciting for years to come. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks, they also were in action. It was a good night for those of us who are Bucks and Marquette fans uh, because the Bucks got it done. They won 118, 104. They flipped the switch uh, in a huge way in the second half and dominated the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets led 62 to 52 at halftime. The Nets also got back out to a 10-point lead in the third quarter, led by Mikhail Bridges. It looked like it was going to be another close game to the finish, and the Bucks turned their defense all the way up. They also found some offense as well. Uh, they finished on a 52-14 to run, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, the fact that the Bucks were able to go on an 18-3 to run with Giannis on the bench is somewhat stunning, but also exciting. The fact that they didn't need Antetokounmpo there to just dominate the Nets. Now, I know the Nets are a playing team at best, but still, that's impressive shit. I don't want to see the Bucks flip the switch every night, right? Like, I, I think to have a team that wants to turn it on every night is a little concerning. Um, I realize this is still the first generation of this new look Bucks team with Jay Crowder, with everybody healthy. So I'm not, I'm not going to overreact to one night of flipping the switch. But the fact that the Bucks can do it should scare a lot of teams. And I've said that scare word a lot. That's been a popular verb in talking about with the Bucks, but it's true, right? The fact that you could think, oh, we're, we're cruising, we're gonna get a nice win, good home win. The Nets obviously have been just okay after trading Durant and Kyrie. They're still in the playoff race because they built up a lot of wins during that time. It, <laughs> to then get the second half where the Bucks absolutely smacked them around is demoralizing and they they could not do anything offensively the bucks on their end were just slicing and dicing they had so many points in the paint nick claxon who's supposed to be a good defender was an absolute ghost i think they had 52 point uh points in the paint through three quarters the most they had had all season they were dominant in this game and it's uh, these are one of those games that makes you think wow this team is really good like the, the Miami game, there was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, maybe it's just one game. Maybe that's an outlier. Suns, really tough game, really hard fuck game. No Giannis, found a way to win. Now you have this Brooklyn game where Brooklyn is, again, play, playing team. You might see them round one. And the Bucks absolutely dismantled them 
in the second half. And once they once they kind of figured it out, they were good to go. Like this is still a newer team, right? Because there's all these new pieces. They've seen Bridges, they've seen Johnson before. I don't think actually Cam Johnson played in this game, but still, like this is a new look team. And it took the Bucks a little while to figure it out. And once they figured it out, it was all over. And now they have an undefeated February. They have 15 straight wins. They are the top team in the Eastern Conference. They actually took that over on Monday night from the Boston Celtics. And you just wonder if the Bucs are, are going to give it back. They are absolutely on fire. And it they look they look unbeatable right now. They, they really do. And I, I realize at some point they're going to lose a game, right? At some point they are going to drop a basketball game. That's just, that's how it goes. I don't expect the Bucs to win out for the rest of the year. Would be incredible. Uh, would be something really fun to watch. But I, I think that the national media should start paying attention. I don't get too fired up about national media. And, you know, I, I like lying in the weeds, but it's been funny how little people have talked about this Bucks run. Uh, and I do think they start picking up some steam if the Bucs were to win 15 and then win their 16th on ABC on Saturday night. They, it's 17, 18, 19. They could go for 20 against Golden State um, on March 11th, also on ABC. I don't think Steph Curry will be back for that, but they're, I mean, they have, they're in uncharted territory as of now. Like this is, this is uncharted. The last time the Bucs lost was Saturday, January 21st. That's over a month ago that the Bucs have lost the basketball game. Uh, and they haven't lost since Chris Middleton came back to the lineup. They're 15 and up. So what the Bucs are doing is absolutely incredible. And I, it's a hard competition to say who won February between the Bucs and the Bucks and Marquette. They both had such good good months and closed so strong in the month that it's hard to it's hard to argue. I think maybe you say the Bucs just because of everybody healthy you get jay crowder i think that has to be part of it you really have set yourself up for success and now it's go time now it's just finishing and we'll look ahead to uh, march tomorrow we're going to do the importance rankings which the bucks will show up on and we'll talk about bucks magic but yeah it's it's a beautiful time man they, they are playing really really good basketball and Giannis being back and we can go right into our golden kegs for the day uh Giannis, you know, coming back, 33 points, 15 rebounds on 28 with only 28 minutes. Really good to see altogether. Uh, I think that was another huge part of that. You know, third and fourth quarter, the Bucks were able to get Giannis some time to sit. Uh, he looked great. He was dunking on people. Uh, he, you know, like just could not be stopped. Uh, didn't really do much from the free throw line uh, tonight, but but still was was really efficient. Uh, in the way that he was getting to the rack and you know finding sort of what worked and what didn't knocked off some rust after a bad first quarter he had four points in the first quarter finished with 33 uh that's that's just Giannis right that you see that a lot with the Greek freak where he might start off slow but he somehow finds a way to end strong I still think he's hurt he kind of mentioned it to Zora Stevenson after the game like she asked him, how are you playing through these injuries? He's like, I just love basketball. So I don't exactly know how hurt Giannis is. I, obviously, there's a little bit of trepidation there. I don't know if he'll play tonight against Orlando. I would assume he will. Uh, the Magic have been spunky, uh, to say the least. Uh, so it will be should be a good game tonight uh, against the Magic. But we'll see if we'll get on to the Kumbo or if he'll take a couple days off before they get ready 
to play the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday night, which I'm very excited for. It's the first game since Laddergate. Uh, and it, it's just, yeah, it'll be, it should be fun. And the Sixers are wavering a little bit. And so I feel like this is a good time to play them as well. Uh, but yeah, Ante Kumbo, really strong stuff to welcome himself back to the Bucks. Two kegs goes to Chris Middleton. Uh, nice day for mids. 18 points on 13 shots. He had six assists, four rebounds. He had some nice moments. He got his three-point shot working. I think that's something that Middleton has, I wouldn't say struggled with since coming back from injury, but it hasn't really been consistent. Uh, three for seven, I'll take um, any day of the week. And really, really was a catalyst to the Bucks stretching out that lead in the second half. Uh, was able to catch maybe a little bit of rest, only playing 23 minutes. I think this Middleton sort of cons conservative approach is still a little weird, right? I'm okay with it off the bench. It's working, right? You're up. You've won 15 straight games. It, you, you're showing no signs of stopping. Like there is a part of me that wants to see Middleton back in the starting lineup. I don't know what it is. It's a weird thing, but it, if it's working, why why change it, right? Bud was in San Antonio when Manu Ginobili was this awesome guy off the bench. And I think a little bit of him is like, well, why can't Chris Middleton be that Ginobili type player for us? And I, I've I've grown more acceptable to it. I do also wonder, is this a little bit of mind games from the Bucks where Middleton on the bench for most of the most of the regular season and then in the playoffs we move Middleton back to the lineup and the goal is to get Middleton to play 30 to 35 minutes. Now, granted, only buddy that played past 30 in this game was Drew Holiday at 30, right? So I, this is a hard example to use like, okay, they've played a lot of minutes. Maybe that Philly game will be an indicator if we see, you know, the minutes start to tick up. We have not seen Chris Middleton past 25 minutes. We'll see if he gets there. But yeah, another another good night for him in the office uh, was really, really strong in that second half as the Bucks were pushing ahead and kind of, as we said at the beginning, flipped the switch on this Nets team. One keg goes to Bobby Portis. It was, it's been, it's been interesting to see that Bobby sort of, you know, find his role again in this different environment, right? Bobby was a starter for a part, a portion of this season. Um, Bobby also, you know, had big minutes off the bench during this season when Middleton was out with injury, when they didn't really have a bunch on the wing. Now they have Jay Crowder. Now they have a healthy Chris Middleton. Bobby's role is kind of changing. He had a big shot at the end uh, in the, I think it was the third quarter to, maybe it might have been the fourth. It was probably the third. See, I think it was the third. To give the Bucks the lead for the first time, and they kind of never looked back after they got that lead. But that was the only three that Bobby made. He only played 16 minutes. He had six points on seven shots. Uh, did grab six rebounds, but like, yeah, it's not it's not the same role that Bobby Portis had at the start of this year. So how does Bobby adjust to that? Can Bobby sort of find his rhythm? Can he, you know, improve on his defense a little bit? I, I think that there are a lot of things that Bobby Portis needs to work on. So I'm not surprised that Bobby's had a rough start to, you know, the, the post-All-Star break. He had a good game against Miami. But again, remember, Giannis was out of that game. So Bobby was able to play a little bit more. And I think that's that's something that Portis is going to have to adjust to, you know, as this, you know, regular season moves on. Because this is probably what the playoffs will look like for him. And he just needs to adapt. And that's that, that's hard. Like, I'm not, 
not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to look at look ahead and see what's next for Bobby Portis. You could also throw in the Connaughton Allen connection that only had 13 points combined. Uh, that was two of eight from three point. I don't really understand why we continue with Connaughton and Allen uh, as the two guards starting. Again, that feels like a Javon Carter, maybe even a Jay Crowder. Uh, but that's but that's Bud being Bud, right? Uh, Bud's gonna Bud. And that that is what we what we have here. But all in all, good win for the Bucks. They keep it rolling. We'll obviously talk about Bucks Magic tomorrow on tomorrow's show uh, and get ready for Bucks Sixers with Mitch uh, for the tabbing the keg on Thursday. So stay tuned for all of that. Wrapping up today's show with the Green Bay Packers, Brian Gunaku spoke with the media and said that all options were on the table when it came to their quarterback. Also spoke highly of Jordan Love, been in communication with Jordan Love, have not really communicated with Aaron Rodgers, just some text. Aaron Rodgers is on a podcast today with Aubrey Marcus. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about that on tomorrow's show. But with Brian Gunacoust, I'm not surprised that he talked out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, It makes sense, right? Uh, Because you're not wanting to give away too much. You don't want to put you know, your cards on the table. Green Bay is restructuring a bunch of deals. They restructured Kenny Clark this morning. They restructured Preston Smith. I think they restructured Jair too. So they keep restructuring contacts. And, and this is part of the why the cap isn't real, right? Because this always happens in the NFL. None of these contracts are ironclad. They restructure them so they free up more money. And Gunakus mentioned if Rodgers were to come back, there would be some restructuring that would go on. And it sounds like Rodgers is going to get his guy, Mason Crosby, back. It sounds like they have no plans to get rid of David Bakhtiari. So maybe that is step one in the Rodgers return. I think that everyone is kind of maybe lost the plot or they're sick of it. Every day it seems like, when is Rodgers going to come back? Is he going to come back? What does this mean for Jordan Love? Things like that. I do believe, and I saw Evan Cohen mention this, and I've kind of had the same take about just one more year of Rodgers, pick up that Love option. It's expensive, but backup quarterbacks are typically expensive. Like Chase Daniel, for example, like look how much money Chase Daniel has fucking made as a backup, all right? So pick up that extension, let Rodgers go for one more year. I, I believe the contract gets easier after next year as well if Rodgers still wants to play, but you're ready to move on with Jordan Love. I understand Jordan Love's frustration. I understand if everyone's telling Jordan Love he's a, he's a starter and the Packers still don't want to make him a starter. Like that That's a tough, tough pill to swallow. But I think one more year of Rodgers and really sort of riding this thing all the way to the end is, is the right move. And I think that's what Rodgers wants to do. I think that's what Mark Murphy wants to do. But I also think that Brian Gunacoust is keeping the door open in case Rodgers is like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go. And I think the fact that the Jets are the top team to want to trade for Aaron Rodgers is concerning for the quarterback because that is exactly the Favre story. That is exactly what happened with Brett Favre. Now, granted, the Jets wanted Brett Favre, but Brett Favre thought he was going to go to Tampa Bay per Brett Favre. Now, that's from Brett Favre, so we'd, we'd have to dig into the details and see if that was the case. But Favre thought he was going to Tampa Bay. Favre wanted to go to Tampa Bay, uh, and the Packers were like, we're not trading you to an NFC team. They trade him to an AFC team. They were not in as much communication with Favre as maybe the Packers will be with Aaron Rodgers because this is different eras, right? Player empowerment did not exist when they traded Brett Favre. 
So I do wonder, is that something that's holding Rodgers back? It was like, do I really want to be compared to Brett Favre? I think that matters to him so much. And so if he can say, all right, one more year, get through it, may, retire, go out on a high note, and you know, ride off into the sunset, there we go. I just, I know that this is a really tough decision. And I think that's why I, I have sympathy for Brian Gunacoust. I do, because... I, what is he supposed to say? If he comes out and is like, yeah, Jordan Love's our guy. We're going to try to trade Aaron Rodgers. Then that kills your value. That kills your, you know, any sort of leverage you have. If you say Aaron Rodgers, our guy, we look forward to Aaron Rodgers being back. Then you kind of hurt your chances with Jordan Love. Does Jordan Love one out? I do wonder if he's he forces his way to get a trade. And then that is a complete disaster. It is. It just is. Like, it, it really is if Jordan Love is like, I want out. And I think even the people who are pro Rodgers, and I have longstanding, I'm at peace with any decision that is made. The one that I, I have a tough time with is the keep Rodgers, trade Love, draft a quarterback this year or next year and get ready for 2024. 2024 is a loaded, loaded quarterback draft. I can talk myself into a lot of 2024 quarterbacks. That said, I'm still nervous about what guy you could get. Who you could you really get Caleb Williams? Probably not. Could you get Drake May? No. Could you get Jordan Travis? Yeah, probably. Could you get you know one of the other quarterbacks that's going to be mentioned in that mix? Yeah, maybe. But you're still going to have to probably race waste first round capital on that. At worst, second round capital. Do you want the capital that you trade Aaron Rodgers for next season, barring he doesn't retire, for that quarterback? Do you really want that guy to be the heir apparent off a draft pick, right? And maybe you get it for, I don't know if you'll get a first round value for Jordan Love. I mean, that would be incredible. If you were able to get a first round pick for Jordan, next year, 2024, first round pick for Jordan Love, I mean, that would be a master at work. That would be probably one of the best moves Goody could make. Then I'd feel a little bit better about it, but I, we have not seen these sort of backup unknown quarterbacks get first round value besides Matt Schaub. And that was years ago. And that was a long time ago. Uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo got two second rounders, if I'm not mistaken, from uh, San Francisco to, or New England to San Francisco and what San Francisco get back. I'd have to look back at that package. But it was not, I think, a first rounder. And that's going to be the tough challenge. And so I, I think Goody's up against it a little bit. And a decision will be made before the league's new year. It seems like we're chugging towards that March 15th deadline, which I to I've told you guys about forever. And I this is why, like, a week ago, I was like, hey, chill out on the Rodgers news because we're not going to get anything for a month. And even though Mike Florio wants storylines, story he wants to publish things on Pro Football Talk and have shit to talk about, it's just non-existent. Uh, and it's not going to be there for a couple more weeks. So it needs to be a semblance of just chill out. And no one can because that's not how the NFL works. Now, Stephen A was like, I'm done with this Roger story. And I was like, good. I was like, great. Like, you should be. Like, there's nothing to talk about until we get closer to March 15th. And we get closer to March 15th, there will be a decision made. And we'll obviously talk about it and we'll see what happens. But yeah, we're we're still we're still a couple weeks away. And I while I, I think Brian Gunacus talked out of both sides of his mouth, I think this is a really tough situation for him. And I think he's kind of in an impossible situation scenario 
there's it, what 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 do you want him to do? I think for the critics, like I, I've been critical of Brian, and I'm not trying to you know basically avoid this or skirt this because he gave him the contract, he put himself in this mess. But at the same time, it's like how how do you really get out of this mess right now? Now, what you do after either bringing back Rodgers or bringing back Love is extremely important. And this is an extremely important year for Matt LaFleur and Brian Gunnikus. And we can talk about that once we once the dust settles. But I, I think it's important regardless. Whether it's, you know, Matt for Matt LaFleur, it's there because he's keeping Joe Barry. And I'm I've been extremely critical of that. And I think that is an awful decision by him. I think every defensive coordinator that has been hired, you know, this offseason has been better than Joe Barry. And would have been a better option than Joe Barry. And the fact that these guys were out there and the Packers just said, no thanks, just to me says a lot. Unless the plan is to hire Jim Leonard if Barry doesn't perform next year. Because Leonard, according to Jeremy Fowler, I think it was last week when he talked to the Eagles about their DC job, he's like, I was planning to take the year off. I'm getting hip surgery. Uh, and, and yeah, year off football. So if that was the case, Packers knew that. Leonard, remember, finished second. If there's this sort of backhanded deal of like he's going to come work for the Packers next year, whether it's a defensive coordinator or a defensive backs coach, maybe maybe that's happening. Maybe that's that's in the works uh, for Green Bay, and they know that that's happening. I don't know. I feel that's a little bit tinfoil hat, if you will. But yeah, it's a big year for Lafleur because of keeping Barry. It's a big year for Gunacoust whether he decides to trade Jordan Love, whether he decides to keep Aaron Rodgers, whether he decides to trade Aaron Rodgers and put all his eggs in the Jordan Love basket, Brian Gutekunst does not get the same leash that maybe Ted Thompson did with Aaron Rodgers. Because we've seen enough of, this is, this is four years, this is longer than Aaron Rodgers, right? Rodgers probably would have wanted out. I think he said that, that if the Packers went back to Favre in 2008, he would have asked for a trade. I'm pretty sure he said that on McAfee. You guys would have to check me on that. But yeah, this is this is an incredibly important year for the Green Bay Packers. And what they do, you know, it, it's going to have consequences. And if the Packers struggle again defensively, and they're a seven and nine or seven and ten team uh, with Lafleur and Barry, I think there are there's a serious conversation to be had about Malfour, even with a lot of his success. And if Jordan Love is the guy and Jordan Love really struggles, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked about Brian Gutekunst, even if, you know, and if Rodgers has a great bounce back year, which I think he will. I think a lot of people are losing sight of the fact the guy had a serious thumb injury for half of the season and probably should have sat a couple games and didn't. And I think people are losing sight of that. I, I don't think that Rodgers is completely washed up. I understand some of the stat stuff. You can point out he's had not had a 300-yard game in forever, but I also think the Packers' offense has shifted. I think they are more run-focused than they ever were under Rodgers before the last couple of years with Jones and Dillon. So it's it's a very it's step one of a long, long offseason. So we'll have to see what happens. Uh, definitely not the end of it, of course, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more. All right, that does it for today's show. Sorry if it sounds a little different. Uh, maybe you don't pick up, maybe you don't know, uh, but I tweeted this out uh, last night. My mic stopped working. Couldn't really get it to work. I finally figured it out, uh, which is great. I'm excited. I hope that it's a not a short-term fix, uh, but yeah, we had a mic, which is great. 
Uh, and I had to do the second half of the podcast this morning. So sorry for those who are early bird listeners uh, that I got this up late. Uh, and But you do have new material. It's here. Um, hopefully we won't run into the same issues tonight. Uh, we're going to do March importance rankings. So if you have any thoughts on what are the most important storylines, people, things about Wisconsin sports in the month of March, make sure you drop it uh, in some comments, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram. We'll take either uh, Tab and the Keg and Tab and the Keg Sports on those channels. And then we'll be back for our Friday show with Mitch, uh, getting ready for an awesome weekend, as well as talking about all the things going on right now in the Wisconsin sports world. All right, take care. Have yourself a great Wednesday, and we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye.